Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? So uh, I really hope you'll use your iPhones and iPads and computers to let us know what God's grace means to you. You know, they say you have 15 minutes of fame in life. We're only asking for 20 seconds. That means you have over 14 minutes left. So uh, I hope you'll do that because I'm interested to just to hear your stories. Um, so uh, I look forward to seeing them. Uh, as many of you know, uh, last Sunday we ended a six-week series uh, on Job, which, you know, at times got a little heavy because suffering is not the most fun or easiest of topics to discuss. So I'm thinking you guys are going to be happy to know that today we're shifting gears from suffering to celebration. And over the next several Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're going to uh, focus our attention on things like hope and faith and joy and love and ultimately Jesus, God's gift to humanity. In fact, next Sunday begins the Advent season, which I, I know it's hard to believe, but it is here. Uh, but before Christmas is officially upon us, I thought uh, it would be a good idea to reflect on and celebrate many of the things that God has done in and through you, his church, since last Christmas, specifically by way of, uh, of your commitments, your time, your talents, your energy, and your financial generosity. And part of the reason for me suggesting this is, and I'm just speaking for myself here, uh, I often forget what I've done from one day to the next, you know, let alone what's happened in my life over the course of 12 months. You know what I mean? And I would venture to say that's true for many of us. I mean, I think we share this cultural tendency to just move through life so quickly with so much going on around us all the time that we, we lose track of what's happened. I mean, even for us in the church, we can very easily forget what God has done in our lives. And I don't know, maybe it's not just a cultural thing. Maybe it's a human thing. Early in their history as a nation, God said to the Israelites, he said, don't forget what's happened. Don't forget what I have done for you. Don't forget. The book of Deuteronomy alone says again and again and again, remember, 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 God says, remember my goodness, remember my rescue, remember my love, remember my grace, remember my healing, remember all these things. Why? Because God says when you remember, it influences how you live. So here's my Reiki summary of that. As God's people, looking back on what God has done inspires us to move forward with great celebration, gratitude, uh, and faith. And so as many of you remember, heading into December 2013, we as a church embarked on a two-year ministry initiative called All In. And as you know, that's a phrase we use in our culture. It's a colloquialism to describe a person who is fully committed to something or to someone. You know, we, they're impassioned, they're sold out, they're, there's no holding back. We say, man, that person is all in. And we challenged one another to be an all-in kind of church, a group of Christians, who uh, Christ followers, who are fully committed, you know, impassioned and sold out for God in terms of serving him and, and giving of ourselves and our resources to the cause of Jesus and the reason we said we're compelled to do this is because God has gone all in for us. You know, we could spend um, weeks identifying all the ways that God has done so, but for the sake of time, let me remind you of the most significant and profound ways God is all in. First, we said God is all in love with us. How do we know that? Well, the Apostle John in his biography of Jesus says, For God so loved the world... And what's interesting is that while this declaration serves as the opening phrase of one of the most well-known, memorized, and quoted verses of Scripture, John 3.16, our tendency is to glaze over the, the implications of these words that just, you know, so beautifully summarize not only God's work of redemption, but his divine motivation behind it. Love. Love, an unqualified love. A love not driven by the merit of its object. A love that goes beyond emotion. 
represents a, a deliberate and disciplined choice to commit oneself to the welfare of another. It's a love rooted in the will and revealed through action. And this amazing love of God, John says, is for the world, which means God loves us, and you and me, while at the same time he loves men, women, students, children, and our families, among our friends, in our neighborhoods, our schools, at our workplaces, in our county, state, and nation. He loves people all around the globe, those in faraway places, those in cultures that are very, very different from ours. Young, old, rich, poor, healthy, or sick, God loves those. He loves those who don't even know it, believer and unbeliever alike. In fact, his love precedes our belief. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I just worry that in our culture we can become somewhat myopic, you know, short-sighted. And the comfortable bubble in which we live clouds the fact that God is a global God. And the world is a much bigger place than the western suburbs of Chicago. And God is all in love with that world, specifically the people in it. And he's proven it. He's proven it by sending Jesus. Or another way to say it, God is all incarnate. The Apostle John continues, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus, deity in the flesh, come to live the perfect life we could never live and die the death we all deserve to die, to redeem us. In short, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He rescues us and he gives us life. And this life has nothing to do with our performance, our good works, or our best intentions. It's all about the grace of God offered to us through faith in Jesus. That's, you see, that's what makes the good news so good. Because it's not about what you can do for God, but what God has done for you and for me. John explains it this way. He says, whoever believes. He doesn't say whoever behaves. He said, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And look, I know I talk about this a lot. But it's important because many people in our culture today think they understand Christianity, but they really don't. They see it as being all about religion, you know, keeping rules, keeping the rituals, trying to be a better person, at least being good enough. And many of those same people who believe that end up walking away from faith because, I mean, you know, who can keep all the rules all the time? Who can be perfectly, perfectly good 24-7? And at what point do you know that you've been good enough? I mean, that... The stress of that is overwhelming. The insecurity it breeds, the anxiety, the guilt associated with our failed efforts is just, it's debilitating, it's disappointing, it's crushing. But biblical Christianity is not about that. It is not about works religion. It is about embracing by faith the good news of Jesus, the news of God's grace. And when that happens, you know, when when we come to understand the love and grace of God and we, we grasp the reality of all that God has done for us and the extent to which he has gone all in, we can't help but be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with joy and gratitude and, and, and we can't help but want to go all in for God, not, not out of guilt, but out of love and out of a desire to see others come to know this same love and grace, to know what God has done for them. And, and so we embrace the mission of Jesus. In Matthew 28, he said to his followers, go and make disciples. He used that kind of mission language. In Mark 16, he said, go into the world. Again, mission language. In Acts 1, the last thing Jesus said to his followers He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here's my Reiki translation. He says to to his followers, you are going to spiritually impact your world locally, and then regionally, and then globally. 
I mean, keep in mind, as Christians, we have not been called to hunker down in a, in a defensive position when people around us need to hear and experience the truth of God's love and grace. Jesus didn't say, hide away. He said, get out and go. And as you do, he says, a hostile reception should neither surprise you nor deter you. In fact, at one point he said to his followers, I'm sending you out like, like sheep among wolves, like lamb among wolves. He says, I'm not hiding you away in the barn. I'm sending you out. And then to complicate matters, he told his followers to love their enemies. In other words, love the very wolves you may encounter. Some of us think, well, how is that possible? Well, it's possible because God is all indwelling. In other words, the Spirit of God himself indwells and empowers us, his people, for life and mission. It's what Jesus promised. Just hours before he was crucified, he told his disciples, the Father will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He lives with you and will be in you. And you will receive power. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon that first small group of Jesus' followers huddled together praying in a room in in a home in Jerusalem, the Spirit of of God filled them, men and women alike filled them, impassioned them, empowered them, and the church exploded out of the walls of that house into the streets of Jerusalem and onto the historical scene, and the world has never been the same since. It was like like the ripple effect of a drop of water. The The good news of Jesus spread out quickly. And that wave of spiritual power continued to increase, and the church grew in numbers and influence. And, you know, those, those earliest believers, man, they never, they never watered down the message. They never uh, retreated in the face of violent opposition, but instead they boldly proclaimed and demonstrated a countercultural way of living, the way of Jesus, the way of personal sacrifice, love, and grace, a way that drew a sharp yet appealing contrast to both the legalistic religion of the day and the brutality of pagan Roman culture. Here's the point. God has gone all in for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in, loving, rescuing, and dwelling us. And the question we in the church need to continually come back to and to ask ourselves is this. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe it? And if so... How is, it, how is this belief demonstrated in our lives? I just started reading a book about self-deception titled, I Told Me So. By, by, it's a great title, by Dr. Greg Elshoff. He's a professor of philosophy at Biola University. He's, a, he's the director of the Center for Christian Thought. And um, Elshoff's thesis is basically that as human beings, we have an incredible ability and propensity to deceive ourselves about a whole lot of things in life. Uh, Elshoff defines self-deception as wishing things true of things that lack evidence. In other words, essentially, we ignore the evidence of what's actually true. He writes this. He says, one can be self-deceived about any number of things. A common topic of self-deception is, not surprisingly, oneself. I care deeply about myself. Beliefs about myself are often emotionally laden. And then he talks about Christians as an example. He says, you know, as Christians, we want, to, we want to be and we tend to see ourselves as very sacrificial, giving, generous people who are spiritually impacting the world around us. But is that actually the case? Or are we self-deceiving? I mean, if I look honestly at my life, if you look honestly at your life, what does the evidence reveal? Do I, do you, 
do we serve others at the sacrifice of our own time and energy? Do we? Do we give generously out of our financial resources as God has directed us to a cause greater than ourselves? Do we? And who exactly are we spiritually impacting? Elshoff suggests we, we get somebody else objective to look at, the, look at our circle of friends and look at our calendars and look at our checkbooks because we really need someone objective to analyze the evidence, again, because we tend to ignore the, the truth. We self-deceive. And he says sometimes when questioned about these kind of things, people in the church get a little defensive and say, well, well, you know, I'm just having a hard time acting out my beliefs. Elshoff says that's just not true. He writes, with very few exceptions, no one has any trouble acting out their beliefs. You do act in accordance with your beliefs. More likely, you simply don't believe what you have thought of yourself believing. You're not as committed, not as sacrificing, not as giving, not as generous, not as impactful as you perceive yourself or present yourself. Now, as I've been thinking about that, it seems to me that not only can individuals be self-deceived, but churches can be self-deceived and view themselves as being a loving, gracious, sacrificially generous force for Jesus in the world when the truth of the evidence proves, proves otherwise and the world around them would never even miss them if they were gone. And look, whether as a church or as individuals, as Christians, we need to somehow, some way, break through the self-deception and figure out if we really believe what we say we believe. The proof is revealed through our actions, how we live, how we love, how we serve, how we give. I mean, God has acted. He has proven himself. He's gone all in for us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in, loving, rescuing, indwelling, empowering us for life, and calling us to mission. Are we all in for him? Well, here's the deal. As, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, based on the evidence of this last year alone, we as a church have in fact demonstrated that we, what we truly believe about God and have gone uh, all in for him. And we've done so in line with Jesus' command to go, both, um, you know, locally, regionally, and globally. So let me remind you of what we set out by faith to do over a two-year period of time. Uh, and in terms of globally, and this is a quick summary, but in terms of globally, along with everything else we were already doing around the world, we set out to, to work more closely with International Justice Mission in Kolkata, India, not only in the rescuing of underage girls from sex trafficking, but to uh, establish and financially support a second rehab home, a second aftercare home in Kolkata for these rescued girls. Once they come off the street, they go into the rescue home and they're, they're, they're educated and they're rehabbed and, and they're counseled and they, they get to meet you know, Jesus for the first time. And the first, the, the first and only home uh, in Kolkata was, is called Mahima, Mahima House, Mahima Home. Mahima in, means glory. Uh, but now the second one that's been established that we helped establish is, is uh, Umid Home, or Umid means hope house. So now we have Mahima and we have Umid. And last year this time, Umid did not exist. Now it does. And Umid is up and running because of you guys. Regionally, uh, we set out to establish a community center and a second campus to our east. In terms of uh, working with the community, the goal was to, to make a bigger difference in the lives of under-resourced families living along North Avenue and to help uh, the large number of at-risk students living in those neighborhoods that feed uh, Schaefer Elementary School and Jefferson Middle School. 
And, uh, and we're doing that. We're currently serving families, kids, as well as teachers and administrators in District 45. Um, we've created this ongoing mentoring and tutoring uh, program for elementary and middle school students. Um, this fall, we launched a brand new pilot program that is working uh, specifically with at-risk third graders, 16 kids, highly at-risk kids, with this, this comprehensive after-school educational intervention program. And uh, it's going really well. And here's the thing. This is not just about money. You know, we've got 40 volunteers serving in some, some capacity every single week. We also redesigned and renovated an outside courtyard at Schaefer Elementary to be used for students throughout the year where they have some place to go outside and teachers can teach out in the open. Uh, and we had somewhere between 50 and 60 volunteers do that work. Again, God has enabled us to do that. Locally, along with um, funding and, and volunteer staffing, our ongoing ministries from you know, children to students, students to adults, Bible studies to special classes to recovery programs, we also set out to renovate our current facility. Unexpectedly, just this spring, uh, the property just to our east, this first home to our east, went up for sale, and we've been able to purchase it and now allocate it for future ministry needs. And so we're hoping for some first phase renovations on the facilities to get started soon, perhaps early 2015, we're hopeful. But think about all of this for a second. In one year, we've been able to do all of this and so much more that I don't have time to get into because of your willingness to trust God and go all in. And, you know, from the start, we made it clear, all of these things, if all these things were to happen, we needed everybody to, who calls Parfew Home to be involved, not only in serving, but financially supporting the effort. You know, the goal was and is 100% participation. In other words, we go, we go all in together. In terms of financial giving, we talked openly about how Scripture teaches that giving is a spiritual issue. It's a matter of growth. It's a matter of Christian discipleship. And here's the thing. Giving has has a unique way of breaking through the self-deception and reveals what we believe in our hearts to be true. That's what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so to help us do sort of a heart check on this, we shared what's called the generosity ladder, which is just a visual tool that allows us to gauge where we are in terms of our generosity and our, and our giving. Because as we see it, discipleship is about movement. It's about progression. It's about growth. It's about taking steps toward greater faith. And, and this ladder helps visualize that. And so uh, if you had never given before, we encourage you to jump on the ladder, that first rung, and do it for the first time. Maybe you had given once or twice. We said we encourage you to, to be an occasional giver. Maybe that was the case for you. We invited you to be an in, more intentional, more strategic in your giving. Uh, if, if you're already doing that, we, we encourage you to become a tithing person. You know, tithe, the tithe, the 10% is basically the baseline uh, standard that Scripture gives for generosity. And if you are already tithing, we encourage you to give above and beyond, to give abundantly. Now, more than 70% of our people responded to this and let us know that they were committing to move on this ladder. Of that number, 27% moved from tithing to abundant giving. Those who moved from intentional to tithing, 19%. Those who had been occasional givers who said that they were going to be more strategic and intentional, 35%. For those who had given once before, 5% committed to become occasional givers. In other words, increase the frequency and regularity of their giving. And it's just been encouraging you know, to see people step out in faith and make those kind of commitments and begin that, that discipleship process in regard to generosity. But for me, the most exciting thing had to do with first-time givers because 
I mean, taking that first step of, of sacrificial giving isn't easy. It's a little scary. It's a big deal. It's a faith deal. And of that large number of people who made commitments to All In, 14% were giving for the very first time. And that's pretty cool. What the end result was, $7.5 million was committed to our All In initiatives over two years. And, you know, that's not just something to remember, man. That is something to celebrate. It's something to celebrate. And what God has done in these past 12 months by way of of you guys, of this church's generosity is both humbling and inspiring. Because locally, regionally, and globally, the lives of men, women, students, boys and girls are being spiritually impacted. They are. And we're not just wishing this to be true. It is true. Because we're going out into the world, and we're not just talking about Jesus and the good news of God's grace. We're actually living it out among people. And that's, that's what makes the difference. Uh, this week, um, just the other day, I, I received this advertisement online for what's called the Christian Evangelist iPhone app. Has anyone seen these things? The Christian Evangelist iPhone app. In fact, the ad endorsed 20 of the top sellers of Christian Evangelist iPhone apps. And so I went and I looked at a bunch of them. And, you know, they've got all this stuff. They've got Bible study guides and they've got scripture verses and they've got quotes and um, uh, all these training materials and, and everything and and uh, so I looked at it, but I can tell you this, not, not one app that I looked at said anything about putting the iPhone down, looking up, and graciously loving somebody. I mean, the technology is cool, but trust me on this when I tell you, Christian iPhone apps are not the answer to the spiritual needs of our culture and our world. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. He mentioned nothing about iPhone apps. (laughs) But he did say, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And I'm honored to say you guys get that. You do. How do I know? Well, look at the evidence. You're actually going, and you're loving, and you're sacrificing, and you're serving, and you're giving of yourselves generously, and, you're fi- and, you're, and of your financial resources to, you know, to and for the world that God loves and the people that Jesus came to rescue. And it is making a difference. Nobel Prize-winning author and poet T.S. Eliot once said, The greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reasons for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. In other words, the veracity of, uh, of, of our faith is measured by how we live every single day, how we respond to what God has done for us. He has gone all in. And now, as individuals and as a church, we're all in and going all out for him. And I tell you what, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool to see what's happening. But hey, you, you, don't, you don't have to just take my word for it. Take a look at this. Uh, so here's the deal. You know, I, I was thinking about it and reflecting the past year. And it's time for the church in America to stop self-deceiving. It's our tendency as human beings. We kind of protect ourselves from what's really true. You know, are we, are we generous, loving, gracious, helpful people? Are we loving our, our neighbor as much as we love ourselves? You know, is that true for you in your life? Um, is your generosity where it should be? I mean, these are hard questions. and You're going to need some help answering them because we self-deceive. But our world needs honesty from us. And if, if we're not honest about who we are and what we're doing 
then we're just, we're just kidding ourselves. We're not having any kind of an impact on our world. A world that desperately needs to hear and know about the grace of God in Jesus. And we're committed to being real. We're committed to doing it. And uh, it's been a great first year, and I just want to thank you for all that you've done and all you continue to do and for your generosity and sacrifice. It is making a difference. And a lot of it is just, you know, just being out there in the world and being, being available, being in proximity to people. My wife and I had a fascinating conversation this week, uh, this Friday, with some dear friends. We've been friends a long time, and they are not church people, man. They don't, they're not into that kind of deal. They don't really, we never really talk too much about that, even though I'm a pastor of a church. That's kind of a taboo subject. But we get together, and, uh, and, and they've been going some, through, some, through some things in life that's been hard. And we were sitting at dinner on Friday night, and... Um, uh, our friend, the woman, she, she looks at me and she says, why haven't you tried to convert us? And I'm like, I'm like choking on, you know, what? Uh, Margie, why don't you answer that question? Uh, <laughs> I said, what? She said, why haven't you tried to convert it? Have, why haven't you tried to convert us? I said, well, I mean, that's not really, that's not really my job to convert you. And she said, well, yeah, it is. You're a pastor. I said, no, not, not really. I mean, my, my job is to love you as a friend and help in any way I can and explain what I believe and, um, and maybe explain as, as a pastor, maybe explain what are your options in life to believe, but it's your choice. It's your decision to make. I can't, I can't do that for you. It was a fascinating conversation. It wasn't like, wasn't like there was this like beam of light coming through the roof or something, and suddenly that you know they're on their knees in, the, in, the, in a restaurant or anything like that. But uh, it was a, it was an interesting conversation that has taken years to get to, and I love these people. But it, it takes proximity. You know, we got to be out there. We can't just huddle in here. So thank you for doing it. And you are making a difference. And the next year is going to be even bigger and better. I'm excited about it. So uh, I hope you're excited too. And uh, it's a good thing, folks. It's a good thing. So uh, it's Thanksgiving. Have a great week. Uh, make sure to say thank you to God for all that he's done for you and all that he's doing for you. And I hope you enjoy your time with family and friends. And in uh, the next week... And we begin Advent, and it's going to be a great Christmas season. So uh, if you have some things in your life that you're struggling with, you want to talk to somebody about, some of our prayer team folks will be up here following service. They're happy to talk with you, so come on down. Okay, let me pray for you. And now, Lord, I pray as we go our own way, as the church leaves this building and goes, we go back out into our lives, into our homes, into our, our families, our friends, our schools, our jobs, uh, wherever life takes us this week, Lord, may we live, may we live honestly. I pray that you would help us to stop self-deceiving and to ask the hard questions. Are we truly generous, giving, helpful, loving people? And if not, Lord, make us more like Jesus, that we might point those in our lives to him. And so now may your hand of grace and peace rest on your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.